Hello, hello, hello. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to another edition of The C Report here on Q&A Holes Podcast. I am your host, Mr. C, and I hope you're looking forward to another night of today's news. So we'll hop right into it. So uh, today, uh, Thursday the 25th, marked the kickoff of CPAC happening over in Florida today. So uh, that is the uh, American, uh, the uh, conservative political action um, conference that's going on down over yonder. And um, there's supposed to be a lot of surprises going on this year. Uh, well, actually, I guess it's not uh, such a surprise for the Conservative Political Action Conference. I mean, word is already all over the place that uh, the likes of President Donald Trump will be in the House for as long as uh, they'll let him speak. So it should be a relatively exciting time, I think. I think that's probably going to be... Uh, one of the moments that most people will be looking forward to, but I guess today is kind of like the day where everyone's just coming in and settling down before they get ready for some of the discourses that will be happening between now and Sunday. Um, we have some um, speakers who will be attending CPAC. Um, rumored includes uh, Senator Ted Cruz, of course, of Texas, speaking on the Bill of Rights, Liberty, and the Cancel Culture, as well as Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, who will discuss keeping America safe, and Senator Rick Scott of Florida, um, who will have a discussion on unlocking our churches, our voices, and our social media accounts. So it sounds like one of the themes that they're going to have going on here at this year's CPAC is going to have a lot to do with Many of the issues that surrounded uh, the past uh, administration, or I should say the past four years of Trump's administration, uh, dealing with uh, the freedom of speech, um, uh, censorship issues, and also uh, the cancel culture, because that seems to be pretty prevalent. So those are some of the speakers that we can look forward to um, hearing at CPAC this year. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri course he's been a firecracker recently um has uh been rumored to be giving a speech simply entitled remarks so i don't know something tells me that's probably going to be a doozy of a speech but then we'll also have mike pompeo the former secretary of state and governor christy noam of south dakota anchoring the lineup on saturday um, he is said to be speaking on the Bill of Rights, and she's supposed to address the audience with no specific topic listed for her speech. And of course, uh, Sunday, the keynote speaker or breaking in uh, uh, Sunday morning will be uh, President Donald Trump giving a speech at CPAC. What on earth do you think Mr. Trump will be addressing do you think that perhaps it's uh, quite possible that uh, Trump will be talking? Uh, Trump will be talking uh, some of the things that uh, Joe Biden's been doing. Well, it's very likely. Um, in fact, uh, Laura Trump, who has been um, slated to run in North Carolina for a senatorial position, senator position. Um, had a few words to say on Hannity 
in regard to uh, uh, her father-in-law speaking at CPAC. So let's uh, see what they had to say. And he did tell you so. Uh, a lot of us tried to tell the American people that this would happen if Joe Biden became president of the United States. I think the speed at which so much has happened has really kind of shocked people, to be honest. But you're right. I think for the first time in a long time, Americans found that under President Donald Trump, they had somebody they felt like was actually fighting for them and standing up for them and fighting for America. And Joe Biden has made it very clear, not only through his actions, but through what he has said, that it is no longer America first. We know he just told the folks at the G7, America first is out. Well, who wants a president that doesn't put their own country first? It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But then you see the open border policy. Then you see the fact that he supports a bill to give amnesty to 11 million illegal immigrants, people that are illegal here in our country, wants to give them citizenship. Uh, it, it's, it's really frightening to see, I think, the speed again at which all of this has happened. But you can bet that President Donald Trump is going to talk about it. I'm sure we'll hear about China. I'm sure we'll hear about Iran, the, the Paris climate deal. Um, you know, so many things that so quickly have turned around and really have been incredibly detrimental to the future of America. Um, so I'm excited to hear from him this weekend. I think it's going to be a great speech. I know he's excited to speak to everybody there at CPAC. You know, when, when you look at the, the one issue, we're in the middle of a pandemic, the Biden administration, uh, when they took office, there were a million shots going into people's arms every single day. A lot of these Democratic governors screwed that up. Then you look at, yeah, what's happening, the position he's taken in the Middle East and around the world, America last. But the callousness of just with the stroke of a pen, getting rid of high-paying career jobs while simultaneously making us dependent on foreign energy sources, to me, is the worst thing because we're, the, we're now going to have all these illegal immigrants and we're going to have people out of work for the pandemic competing with now out-of-work energy sector uh, workers with, with very specific skills? Yes, indeed. I'd have to agree with Mr. Hannity on that one. Um, I mean, that's, that just goes to show there's going to be a whole slew of topics that uh, President Donald Trump can speak about at the upcoming CPAC on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's uh, so oh, outrageous. Pardon me, Miss Laura, she's getting a little out of hand here. But no, at the upcoming CPAC, um, he, he can address all the issues. I mean, never has there been a time, and, and maybe it has something to do with the polarization of the political landscape out there right now, but never has there been a time where such a juxtapose is so obvious between uh, one candidate to the next, between one philosophy to the next, of course, those philosophies being America first versus globalism first, uh, which would effectively put Americans last, and that is to the detriment of the world. Um, what can I say? It, it is it is true. It is true. We don't just say those things because, you know, uh, we're American and we think we're best. That, uh, my friends, has nothing to do with the case. But we'll see what happens. So Trump is slated to speak on Sunday. We will uh, keep you guys abreast on the latest developments at CPAC. Uh, some recaps. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll do a live stream or something like that. I don't know. You never know what to expect here at Q&A Holes Podcast. We're always just kind of doing things on the fly. 
All right. So our next story coming up tonight on the Sea Report is in regards to uh, Joe Biden's nominee for uh, the House and Human Services Department, uh, the department, the HHS. That is for one Mr. Javier Becerra. So Mr. Javier Becerra has come into the news again um, for the Health and Human Services nominee. Uh, it just seems like uh, the more that we grill and stay on the topic of Mr. Becerras, the more that we kind of get caught up into uh, some of the things that uh, this guy's been up to now. You know, that's the thing about it, you know, is that like, I remember whenever um, Obama had come into uh, office, right, and uh, his administration was landing, we were finding out things left and right about everyone that he was appointing to his administration, all the things that they were into, or all the things that they would condone, um, I guess you could say. But, uh, you know, the whole thing there is that... um, a lot of them, including Mr. Bercera himself, are very wily when it comes to uh, when it comes to actually answering questions at their swearing-in hearings. Uh, a lot of them can be quite slippery, and it seems that Mr. Bercera was uh, quite the same. Now, most recently, he had been uh, questioned in regards to some of his feelings on abortion restrictions. Uh, if there was anything that he would support in regards to abortion or, you know, if he was just for, you know, ripping the baby out at, you know, eight months and two weeks and uh, calling that, you know, calling that OK. Like, what is what is his what is his stance on abortion? And we see that throughout the entire thing, he seemed to have an inability to answer questions on um, why he thought uh, it was wrong or right. I mean, he he really didn't even seem to to take a a stance on it. When you uh, really examine what was going on, we have a brief clip that we can play for you as well in regards to Mr. Bear Sarah. So let's go ahead and get that on the screen for you guys. Let's go ahead and hear some of the exchange that he had one abortion restriction that you might support. Senator, let me, let me try to respond this way. Um, I have tried to make sure on this important issue for so many people, where oftentimes, again, we have different views, but deeply held views, that I have tried to make sure that I am abiding by the law. Because whether it's a particular restriction or whether it's the whole idea of abortion, uh, whether we agree or not, we have to come to some conclusion, and that's where the law gives but, us. But is there, just to be clear, is there any line you would draw? Is there just one, just one restriction that relates to abortion so you're, that you're you talking, might support? Senator, you're talking to the spouse of a uh, OBGYN who for decades has practiced safety. Now, that's exactly what I'm talking about, how these guys can be really slippery. Now, this particular breed of politician, uh, the good old boy Latino Mexican Hispanic, um, who has... uh, Sold out to the white man. No, just kidding. Um, Not that particularly. But uh, this breed does exist. You see them particularly in the south central of Texas. 
and even in the deeper south of Texas, uh, particularly, where they are absolutely patriotic and absolutely constitutional, but absolutely for party politics, nothing to do with uh, policies, nothing to do with what people in their party might be doing. But because as tradition would have it in the good old Hispanic Southwest, the Democrats were the party of the Hispanic and Latinos and of the people and of the poor. And uh, you have people like him who will fight and they're smart and they're slick. You know, that's why he's going to go on to this diatribe about a family member as opposed to answer a question. But when he's saying that he's relying on the law and he's going to follow the law, what he's really saying is he's relying on his buddies and legislature to pass laws that he can then effectively, um, you know, condone or uh, sit on as being okay. But, you know, that's just, you know, a thought that I have on that. Saving lives of women and babies. And... I can tell you that from the stories I've heard from Carolina, my wife, I know how hard many women struggle just to save the life of their baby. And so what I would say to you, and I know that right now as I speak, my mother has blessed me this morning as I got ready to come here. And last night I know when she... Okay, I'm just going to stop him there because I can't I can't bear to hear him... Uh, what do you call it? I can't bear to hear him uh, talking ill of his mom on national TV when what he's doing is, is just a terrible thing. So, okay, so let's go ahead and hop back in. Oh, whoops, we're not getting to Texas yet, guys. We'll get to Texas in just a little bit. I know you love Texas just like me, and I promise you we will get to Texas. But uh, uh, getting back to this Mr. Bercera individual, uh, let's see here. There we go. I apologize. Okay, let me hop back on into it. So getting back to him, so he can't he can't even like um, he can't even answer a question in regards to that. Now they they go on to ask more questions. I'm just sorry. I, I had to like I couldn't I couldn't listen to him anymore. So I was just like let me just let me just let me just cut him off here for a sec because um, he's just wasting time. Uh, but but as the transcript further goes, uh, Bersetta still would not respond to Dane's questions, but instead attempted to distract the senator with references to his Catholic faith, including his his blessed mother. Um, Danes again pressed Bersetta on the issue of unborn babies and the battle for those who didn't have a voice. And there was a better, there was actually a better exchange between the two, uh, where Danes was getting clearly upset that Bersetta was acting like a fool and an idiot. And, uh, like he'd had too many taquitos that morning. And so, um, you know, all them, all that, that, uh, hot air was just welling up in his stomach there and he, he couldn't seem to answer. So Danes even asks him at one point, but what, but if you're confirmed, you're going to be the head of HHS. That's a huge organization. It has profound impact on our society. How about a ban on sex selective abortions? So he's asking Bersetta, how about uh, you can at least say that you're willing to ban abortions based on sex? Because what if, you know, in a few years, whenever they start trying to uh, genetically engineer babies in the womb, uh, they say, well, if uh, you have a one child policy like China and you can only have boys and you can't have girls, well, we can abort the girls. Well, guess what? I guess because Mr. Becerra, like most of the Democrat and the liberal and the left leaning and the progressive are all in China's favor. I guess Mr. Becerra says, no, I can't. I can't even tell you that we can't have gender-based abortions banned because what if 
just like the great states of China, just like my mentors over in China, Mr. Beshetta says, what if China says they want America to implement a gender-based a gender-based abortion? What if they want to implement that in the United States? Because that's what China says. Well, Mr. Bassetta can't even say no to that. And so that could be kind of frustrating. And, you know, just to build up more on the character of this Mr. Bassetta, there was another interesting article that I had found on him that was in the news and the aggregate lately. And this one had come from the Federalist. It said, Biden's HHS nominee, Javier Becerra, falsely claimed he never sued nuns over abortion coverage. So now, not only is this guy unable to say he's willing to ban even a specific type of abortion, he's, uh, he's actually gone over and sued and sued used used uh used the uh, law and order and legislation and government means i'm sure to uh get money and to uh, cause tribulation to the women of god over at uh what was this little sisters little sisters of the poor in the state of california so let's see what this article has to say about this mr bercera this man who uh who uh, he apparently he loves abortions if he's going to sue nuns over the fact that they wouldn't cover abortions. President Joe Biden's nominee for Secretary of Health and Human Services, California Attorney General Javier Becerra, lied before Senate lawmakers Wednesday, claiming he had never sued nuns. I have never sued the nuns, any nuns, Becerra said uh, before the Senate Finance Committee. I've never sued any affiliation of nuns, and my actions have always been directed at the federal agencies. So I I think what Becerra is trying to say is, I didn't sue the nuns. I did not personally sue the nuns, but uh, the state of California did. Um, let's see here. It says, as California Attorney General, however, Becerra weaponized the full power of the administrative state to sue the Little Sisters of the Poor, a religious order of nuns who run homes for the elderly poor to mandate compliance with Obamacare's contraceptive mandate. The case, State of California versus Little Sisters of the Poor, made it to the North Circuit in 2017. The Supreme Court sided with the nuns in a similar case in 2017, according to Fox News. In 2017, Bercetta railed against the Trump's administration efforts to exempt nuns from Obamacare's anti-religious freedom mandate. Donald Trump wants businesses and corporations to control family planning decisions rather than a woman in consultation with her doctor. Pause. Okay. What does having a business and a corporation controlling family planning have to do with a nunnery giving abortions? What does having a business or corporation control family planning have to do with me? A mid-30s gay man, paying for abortions out of my hard-earned money. What does that have to do with that? It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with the woman's consultation with her doctor. A woman can consult a doctor all she wants, but I personally don't believe in abortions 
only under extreme circumstances. And I don't think that we should have to pay for them. I'm certainly don't, I certainly don't believe that we should have to pay for them. Now, if I had a choice, if we were, if we were actually allowed to select what government programs that we would put tax money towards, I would put tax money towards orphanages and I would put tax money towards well manicured foster care. I mean, like we're talking like, like you have to be, well, I was going to say, we're talking like you have to be like, you know, like a, a, a senator or an ambassador to adopt the children. But we know nowadays you don't want senators or ambassadors adopting children. They're usually caught up in some of those sex trafficking rings. But anyways, um, getting back to the point here. Getting back to the point, um, I would be willing to put money into something like that, but not into abortions. Okay, so anyways, enough about Bastetta. Uh, this guy's full of it. He's full of hot air. He's, he's clearly well-equipped to be a politician, and I'm sure that's why he was in Obama's administration, and he's currently being put into Biden's administration. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I know it's the moment you've been waiting for. Let's say hello to Texas. Well, hello, Texas. How are you doing today? All right, so Texas in the news again. Now, uh, we mentioned this in a previous C report where we had, uh, what was it? Uh, we have President Biden in his um, dementia haze. Undoing everything that Donald Trump did because, well, let's face it, when you get as old as Joe Biden, you start to revert to a child. And he was like, well, if Donald Trump did this, I'm going to do that. And if Donald Trump did this, I'm going to do that. And he decided, well, anything that Donald Trump did, I can do better or I'm just going to undo it. That's what Joe Biden said. So uh, Joe Biden's been basically undoing uh, everything that Trump did to make America great again, um, including a lot of things that had to do with the border, um, uh, you know, kind of like making the border an actual border again, instead of just allowing a uh, free passage into the great country of America. Well, one of those, uh, one of those executive orders that illegitimate Joe passed happened to be an order that stated, well, not going to deport anybody anymore. In fact, regardless of whether you're a criminal, regardless of whether you have a criminal history, regardless of whether your rap sheet is a mile long, regardless if you're a rapist, regardless if you're an MS-13 member, regardless if you traffic humans, regardless if you're a sexual predator, we are not going to send you back to your country. We are going to embrace you and we're going to accept you into the loving arms of America because if anyone should suffer at the hands of these criminals, it's our children and not the communities from whence they came. Well, that's basically what Joe Biden said. Um, but now a judge in Texas, the great state of Texas, federal judge puts indefinite hold on Biden's plan to halt deportations. That's right, baby. This article comes from Bob Price. A federal judge in South Texas indefinitely extended his order stopping the Biden administration plan to halt all deportions for 100 days. The new order effectively blocks President Joe Biden from his promise to temporarily stop deporting criminal migrants. Now, again, 
He was not deporting your average every day. I've been here since I was a kid. Now I work um, building homes and construction. Illegal immigrant. That's not what Trump was doing right now. Trump was deporting the criminals, the ones who had, you know, rap sheets. That's who was going right now. He hadn't gotten to the cotton pickers. Anyways, just kidding. That's a bad joke. I don't know if it was going to go that far. I have a feeling he may have found uh, a path for uh, citizenship before it even got to that point, honestly. But guess what? None of you Dems out there, none of you people who play party politics could even see that through. None of y'all had the wherewithal. Anyways, and let's get back to this article. U.S. District Court Judge Drew Tipton... Hey, Drew, what's up? Placed an indefinite ban on the enforcement of President Biden's memorandum ordering the cessation of all deportations for 100 days. Fox News reported Tipton, a judge in the Southern District of Texas, issued a two-week restraining order after the Texas Attorney General's office filed a lawsuit in January claiming Biden's order was unconstitutional. Texas Attorney Attorney General Ken Paxton claimed the memorandum signed by President Biden violated an agreement between Texas and the Department of Homeland Security requiring consultation before such a move can be put into action. Paxton also said Biden's executive order violates federal law. The court's decision to stop the Biden administration from casting aside congressionally enacted immigration laws is a much-needed remedy for DHS's unlawful action, Paxton said in a January statement. A near-complete suspension of deportations would only serve to endanger Texans and undermine federal law. Fox News reported the agreement means that DHS must give Texas 180 days notice of any proposed change on any matter that would reduce enforcement or increase the number of removable or inadmissible aliens in the United States. Paxton claims that agreement has been violated. Under the judge's order, the Biden executive order cannot be implemented by the Department of Homeland Security and the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement. During fiscal year 2020, which ended on September 30th, 2020, ICE enforcement and removal operations officers deported 185,884 migrants who were ordered removed by a federal immigration judge. Of those, 92% had criminal convictions or pending criminal charges. The deportations also include 4,276 known or suspected gang members and 31 known or suspected terrorists, according to a year-end report published by ICE. Wow, that is most definitely something, y'all, to think about. Um, Well, thank goodness for the Tenth Amendment and thank goodness for the state of Texas uh, because then um, our state would at least be overrun by Im- immigrants, illegal immigrants, nonetheless. But, you know, there's a lot of detriment that goes goes towards that when we have a surplus population, illegal or otherwise, coming into any said uh, any said um, 
land, uh, but but to know that there was an agreement that must be had between the federal government and the state of Texas saying that uh, it's going to be 180 days before you put in act any law you may choose to um, to enact. Uh, that that's that's a that's a good feeling right there. So they basically uh, beat Biden to the punch where Biden tried to put a halt to deportations. Well, the state of Texas said, sorry, buddy, we have a pre-existing agreement and you're not going to do that. Well, sorry, Joe. Illegitimate Joe must suck to be you sometimes. But then again, it uh, looks like you're finally on the other side of the line. All right. Let's see what else we have coming up here in the news. Uh, here is a story that many of us have heard the tale of. Many of us are following this. I know this is also one that's been making headlines. It just seems like when it rains, it pours. When it flurries, it blizzards. <laughs> when it snows in Texas, it snows in Texas. And when uh, when uh, the wrath of uh, retribution and um, the <laughs> once comeuppance comes up, it comes. Cuomo is uh, in the news as ever. All right, let's see here. So what's going on with Cuomo? We got two stories going on now. Everyone's following the Cuomo story. Now, the reason why people are following this is because a lot of people weren't aware that uh, the state of New York, in tandem with four other states in the union, sent out a mandate on the 20th of March, somewhere in that neighborhood, 20th, 25th, etc., ordering that uh, nursing homes were not allowed to turn away, nay, even test, patients returning to their facilities from the hospital in regards to COVID-19, nor were they allowed to uh, test them nor turn them away. Uh, Say, you know, uh, say Grandma Moses had been sitting in her room at the nursing home for 25 years and she went to get tested for COVID, came back positive. And uh, when she'd attempted to come back to her residence, mm, they weren't going to check her fever. Uh, they weren't going to uh, see if she, they weren't going to check her papers. They probably wouldn't even have asked for a mask. They probably have welcomed Grandma Moses back into the facility to go ahead and uh, spread that disease amongst its population. It's really a tragic story. So what's going on here? Well, on the political end, it looks like the um, Democrats <laughs> are looking to censor Cuomo. Now this is, oh, oh, is that the least you could do, Democrats? The least you could do is censor this man? Like, come on, really? Okay, so that's why I say when it rains, it pours. Because here you have, you know, nipple rings Cuomo, uh, who thinks he's the god of New York, basically, who writes a book about how great he did during this, how he was the golden, uh, he was the golden example of how to handle a COVID crisis, right? And uh, then we find out that he kind of uh, goofed it up a little bit by ordering people to their death. Let's see what the uh, the New York electorate, uh, the Democrats have to say, because the Democrats, the, the, I mean, uh, the liberals left, they're all eating their own right now, quite honestly. They're all, they're all going in on each other because now that the dirty deeds are done, no one wants to take responsibility for it. But uh, according to this uh, article from the Daily Caller, it says 11 New York State Democrats introduced a resolution on Monday to censure Democrat Governor Andrew Cuomo for covering up nursing home debts and threatening lawmakers. The resolution signed
signed by elected members of the New York State Democrat Party condemned Cuomo for his lack of transparency on nursing home debts and belligerent conduct towards public officials, according to the New York Post. Actions have consequences. I consider it my responsibility as a representative of the Democrats in my community to hold members of our party accountable, from city council up to the governor, said Queens Democrat district leader Amelia DeCoden in a statement to the Post. Democrats introduced this resolution following bipartisan backlash last week to a leaked audio of Cuomo's top aide, Melissa DeRosa, allegedly admitting the state hid data on nursing home debts from the federal government during a closed-door meeting with the state Senate Democrat. Similarly, states Assembly Republicans announced their intention to form an impeachment commission to investigate Cuomo last week. The resolution also alleged that Cuomo sought to deceive the public and criticized him for making time to write a book and distribute a self-congratulatory poster instead of addressing lawmakers' demands for data on nursing homes. Uh, During this entire ordeal, where the governor claims to not have had time and human resources to comply with requests for information, the governor did have time to write a book congratulating himself. Um, The resolution read, Democrats further allege Cuomo's administration repeatedly stymied and refused to comply with requests for data on nursing home deaths due to fear of legal and political accountability, as reported by The Post. And uh, indeed, uh, The Post was not the only one to report that those words came from Melissa DeRosa herself. Uh, She said that they were afraid that they did not know if the federal government would open an investigation. And that was also part of the reason why they did not turn over those nursing home death numbers. Now, despite the pushback to Cuomo's handling of COVID-19, New York State Democrat Party Chairman uh, Jay Jacobs dismissed the resolution as very political. I don't see it going anywhere. There will always be those who will see an opportunity to try to enhance their own relevance. I don't care for this opportunistic action at the state uh, committee, said Jacobs to the Post. Now, if you ask me, that is a little bit disgusting to have this uh, Democrat Party chairman, Jay Jacobs, dismissing the deaths of 15,000 individuals in the New York state area and their grieving families as an opportunistic moment to enhance their own political relevance. I think uh, that maybe uh, Democrat chairman Jay Jacobs should come before the party of individuals who met um, uh, to have a uh, demand against Cuomo recently in the New York state area. I'm going to go ahead and play a couple of um, moments from this um, Uh, This administration that came together, they assembled, it looks like, at City Hall to speak out against uh, Senator Cuomo. And they're mad. The people of New York City and state are mad. Uh, So here's a few of the things that they had to say in that regard. Extend my condolences to Ms. Dean and all of the families who are here and not here because we haven't done enough grieving. And this is actually what this is about. You know, I know sometimes this issue is starting to get framed as some sort of political witch hunt because that's what the governor wants. But we can't lose focus. 
This is about getting justice for our families here in New York who are grieving their loved ones, who deserve answers, and who deserve to know why it is that their loved ones were moved without their consent, why some of them were given near lethal cocktails as supposed medicine and didn't necessarily um, receive the appropriate medical care that we expect to receive. How are New Yorkers supposed to trust that nursing homes will take care of our senior citizens in the future? TV has no hidden fees, unlike traditional services. Try it free. I love it when my contact rolls Oops, back in Sorry my about eye. that, folks. It's we like can't get any of these commercials in here. At least it's future. This is a very, very big issue. And I want to commend Assemblyman Ron my bad, Kim. Folks. And I'm sorry because I know you've also lost an uncle. I want to commend Assemblyman Ron Kim for standing up and calling not only for the return of these campaign donations, but for complete transparency when it comes to the communication between the second floor, the governor's office, and any and all hospital and nursing homes. We need to get to the bottom of this. And I'm here as the chair of the labor committee because I continuously hear the governor blaming the workers at the nursing homes who weren't provided the proper PPE, who weren't provided proper guidance, who didn't get any special training, who didn't get any heads up that they were going to uh, be getting new patients to take care of, where there wasn't an appropriate staffing to patient ratio, all of the things that could have been done to make the situation easier. There's a lot of reckoning that's going to take place here in New York. And we're going to get to the bottom of this, and we're going to need all your help. So I want to thank everybody who's here to stand with us, because this ordeal is not going to be easy. The pursuit of justice is never easy. But we have to do it. We can't let this happen to any more New Yorkers. We're here to protect our own, and we're here to get justice for the loved ones we've lost. Thank you. I'm not a politician, um, but I thank all of you that came here today. Uh, the support, of course, is incredible. To my family, I lost my in-laws, both my father-in-law and my mother-in-law in separate elder care facilities. We had no idea there was a March 25th order to put over 9,000 COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. I wish we had known that. And for 46 days, that mandate was in place until it was reversed and scrubbed off the health department website. And a lot of news agencies, news companies think that this is breaking news. We have been shouting from the rooftop for 10 months. There's a certain strain of bacteria called Lactobacillus ruteri that will help you grow bigger balls. There was a study published in 2014 that used male Wistar... I don't know about that, ladies and gentlemen. Ten months. <laughs> I'm just going to say I apologize real quick because when I checked earlier uh, on this, uh, there were not any commercials. So uh, I do apologize. And especially for that, to try and be family friendly. Come on here now, sir. And I have yet to hear this governor say in front of a microphone, I am sorry for your loss. That would have been a good start. This is not about politics. It's not about Republican or Democrat. It's about what's right 
and what's wrong. And that's why we're here today. The governor has blamed everyone, everyone except the man that signed the mandate, everyone except the man that has been covering up the numbers. He's blamed God, he's blamed Mother Nature, he's blamed Fox News, he's blamed the New York Post, he's blamed the nursing home workers, those that went in there and tried to care for my loved ones who we could not go in or have wakes or funerals or have rights or hold their hands. We did not see them. The only time my husband was allowed to go see his mom was when she was dead through a glass window. What is that? That is not humanity. So we have to make sure this never happens again. And to Ron Kim, who has been by my side from the very beginning, who has been so brave, who has had personal loss, because I'll tell you right now, it's the ones that have had this loss that will be the ones to usher in change. And I speak for all of the families here today and for all of the families who don't have a voice. We are grateful, we are grateful for your support and we will not stop even when these cameras shut down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next we have the director of the Working Families Party, Sochi Namaste, please. Good afternoon, good afternoon everyone. Um, thank you, person as me and the few. I'm shook by your testimony and how you're able to lean into that grief and anger and demand justice for all beyond you. Thank you to Assembly Member Kim, who has been speaking truth to power and bringing his own direct impact to ensure this is not happening again. And to Senator Ramos, who's been championing this issue since her community was deaf, was um, uh, straight in the epicenter of this crisis. And less than one year after COVID hit our communities, we mourn the death now of 500,000 of our loved ones, of our friends, our families, our colleagues, our neighbors who perished in the center of this crisis. And throughout this pandemic, our communities found that the government did not care for us, did not take care of us. We had to care for each other. Meanwhile, the governor was caring for nursing home executives and corporations. In the midst of an unprecedented pandemic, the Cuomo administration put profit over people. The result is, is very clear. New Yorkers were unable to protect their vulnerable family members trapped in nursing homes. Thousands perished alone. And now these families are left looking for answers. We are all here looking for answers and they deserve the truth. First, they were not given the truth about the government's uh, involvement in the policies that led to these deaths. The governor stonewalled the legislature's request for data the administration then published their own report absolving themselves of fault. And finally, they threatened Assemblymember Ron Kim for publicly discussing the state's involvement. This $39 laundry aid is breaking sales records. It is reusable up to 200 times. Ha! I caught it that time. That is not transparency, that is not good government, and we're saying that enough is enough. And at a time when New Yorkers are struggling just to keep their family members safe, and mourning the loss of their loved ones, they should not also have to worry about whether government is being truthful to them, whether we are honestly being moved through this crisis and recovery. They should not be worried about whether our leaders are putting the needs of the wealthy, the few, the privileged, the well-connected above the care and well-being of the majority of New Yorkers. And that's why we're here today to lift up Assemblymember Kim's demands about transparency and accountability in the nursing home system that's why we're also here to lift up the need, the desperate need for real investigatory uh, power and, and procedures to figure out what actually happened in the sector of this crisis. This is the only way 
our government can regain the trust of all New Yorkers, and if an independent investigation does not begin, New Yorkers will rightfully be concerned that their government would rather bring, sorry, would rather not bring all the facts associated with this crisis, but protect the few, the, the privileged, the protected ones again. We need a government that speaks for all New Yorkers. We need a government that puts the vulnerable first and that acts out of a compassion for those who've been uh, absorbing the brunt of this crisis. So thank you for bringing us today. Uh, we stand very strongly with you and we need to make sure that justice is served. Okay, I'm going to pause it there. Now, there's one last exchange that I want to show. It had to do with the questions because um, one of the individuals in the uh, audience uh, asks a question about how uh, Governor Cuomo says that they didn't know, like, you know, the, the experts didn't give us the proper uh, the proper information, the, the experts didn't tell us. And then, you know, he also went on to blame the staffers and say that, you know, they were the ones walking in and out of the nursing home with COVID on them. I mean, I guess if that's how that smart virus works, but, uh, it's, it's interesting to know how they respond. It, it kind of gives you some of the idea of the passion that's going on behind some of these people. Let's go ahead and play that real quick. And then we'll wrap that section up. Things like back in March, April, May of last year, things like asymptomatic people were bringing COVID into the nursing home. We didn't even know that we were supposed to be wearing masks at the beginning. And he said, if we're so bad, I'm not beginning, I'm going to, this is just him. He said, if we're so bad, then why are we the 32nd state in the entire country in the number of nursing home deaths? Well, but he knew enough to, but he knew enough to hide the memo from March 25th. He didn't have enough information to do the right thing, but he had enough information to hide what he was doing. Yeah, I actually caught the commercial that time. One moment. seal it there so i mean that just goes to show like the people of new york are definitely 
not happy with, and, and who would be? I mean, I mean, I myself experienced something that was very similar to that. Now, in the state of Texas, they didn't have a mandate that uh, ushered people into uh, nursing homes and rehabilitation centers. But due to this shamdemic and this COVID, um, I too had two situations with family members. I was not able to be with them on their deathbed due to this uh, shamdemic that happened here. And so I, I can relate to some of the pain that these people are feeling. But even here, as you can see, like we have a copy here, as it was shown online, of the uh, memo that was sent out by the Cuomo uh, uh, um, state health department here in New York. And you can see right down here, it does say during this global pandemic, uh, during this global health emergency, all and all nursing homes must comply with the expedited receipt of residents returning from hospitals to nursing homes. Did you hear that? All nursing homes must comply with the expedited receipt of residents returning from the hospitals to nursing homes. Residents are deemed appropriate for return to a nursing home upon a determination by the hospital physician or designee that the resident is medically stable for return. But down here, you'll note in the red, it says no residents shall be denied readmission or admission to the nursing home solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. Nursing homes are prohibited from requiring a hospitalized resident who is determined medically stable to be tested for COVID-19 prior to readmission or prior to admission. So they already knew that this was... Uh, like the uh, the doctors themselves were fighting back with Cuomo, and uh, they were they were basically what they were saying is, look, you do this, and I mean that's it. Like uh, people are going to die here, and certainly that's uh, that's 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 the mandate that Cuomo followed. Um, that's basically what he had them do. Now um, the Gateway pundit did report uh, back in May that the reason for the Cuomo. Uh, insane directives was related to money. They said in 2018, as Governor Andrew Cuomo faced a challenge to his re-election bid in New York State Democrat primary, he got a last-minute $1 million cash infusion from the General New York Hospital Association, a powerful New York healthcare industry group. On April 2nd, 2020, he repaid the favor when he quietly signed legislation shielding hospital and nursing home executives from any lawsuits stemming from the coronavirus outbreak. The clauses inserted into the annual budget bill by Cuomo gave blanket immunity protections for healthcare industry executive and administrators, the same individuals and institutions that have made a fortune moving sick COVID-19 patients to nursing homes. And indeed, one of the uh, assemblymen out there in uh, City Hall, New York City, did state that, in fact, uh, when the... Um, staff of the nursing homes and the hospital management and care were telling the governor, you can't do this. Uh, people are going home. We're understaffed. People are sick. Uh, uh, sending people to the nursing homes who are positive for COVID is essentially a death warrant for everybody uh, involved. Uh, Cuomo responded by giving a blanket, uh, by giving a blanket, um, 
blanket cover, blanket immunity towards the administrators and the executives of the healthcare industry. That's how he responded to the nursing home staff telling him, look, Cuomo, you can't do this. You cannot do this. But nevertheless, getting back to the Gateway Pundit, the GNYHA gave the Democrats an unheard $3 million in the 2018 election cycle of this Cuomo and his state party committee received close to $2.3 million from various hospitals and nursing home industry donors. Governor Cuomo returned the favor with his directive forcing COVID-19 patients back into elderly homes. This directive provided a massive increase in revenues to organizations associated with the GNYHA who were paid handsomely for COVID patients. It was a bonanza for these entities and and don't forget, hospitals received federal government money, federal money, taxpayer money, if uh, if they had COVID-19 as a cause of death on certificates for patients who are COVID positive, they received extra funding. So all of these people made money. And all Cuomo had to do was sign away the lives of several elderly citizens. It says the impact of this decision on elderly New York New Yorkers in nursing homes is the elderly in these nursing homes spread the disease and died. They died at the worst rate in the country and the world. Uh, so we'll see what else is left to come. We know that Cuomo is definitely going down with the ship on this one. Um, it's just another prime example of how uh, you can't get away with things for political gains. You know, and that's what this was all about, aside from making a buck on a book deal, laundering money, and then maybe, you know, paying back some of his buddies in the healthcare industry. Uh, uh, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, you, things will always come to light. Things will always come to light. And I think this, this is just another example of how we're going to see everything that the liberal left, all of the ploys and all of the machinations that they installed against conservatives and the Trump administration are going to come back and uh, just, well, for lack of a better word, boomerang back on them. Um, okay, so that's what was going on with Cuomo. Um, and oh, and then let's not forget, he also has uh, a sexual harassment case uh, coming down on him. Um, so Cuomo's really going on the gauntlet. And, you know, when uh, I had heard that Letitia James, the New York uh, attorney general, was actually uh, pre pressing forward with uh, investigating and, and taking Cuomo to task. I was like, ooh, who is this Letitia James? Eh, I mean, she it's a mixed hat with that woman. Like she she attacks Second Amendment. She attacks Trump over taxes. But then she takes Cuomo to task. I mean, I don't know. There's probably some something else going on uh, behind the scenes that someone of my... Uh, of my uh, stature is unable to see. All right. And in our last story for tonight, let's see what we got going on here. It's, uh, you know, we often hear about uh, different states and uh, different uh, well, different states of the union, either seceding, like we heard uh, what there was going to be a new Nevada. We heard there was going to be a new California. Uh, who knows? Maybe there will be um, um, a new country, a Republic of Texas someday. Well, now we hear that there are dur, 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 five counties in Oregon that don't want to become new Oregon. They want to become part of greater Idaho. Because after all, them potatoes are just to die for. The Washington Times reports five Oregon counties to vote on leaving the state, escaping to greater Idaho. Five Oregon counties will ask voters in the next election whether they want to detach from the deep blue state and join neighboring red state, Idaho. 
Um, Move Oregon's Borders, also known as Greater Idaho, confirmed Tuesday that the initiative to move swaths of largely rural eastern and southern Oregon into Idaho qualified for the May 18th special election ballot in five counties, Baker, Grant, Lake, Mahler, and Sherman. In Baker County, organizers far exceeded the 496 signatures required by submitting 746, with the clerk ex- reporting that 630 were accepted. The county population is about 16,000. Oregon is a powder keg because counties that belong in a red state like Idaho are ruled by Portlanders, said Mike McCarter, resident president of Move Oregon's border, in a statement. He cited the impact of Democrat Governor Kate Brown's novel coronavirus restrictions, ongoing Antifa unrest in Portland, a state task force's unsuccessful effort to prioritize black, indigenous, and people of color for novel coronavirus vaccines, and what he described as the state legislature's bias in favor of Portland over rural communities. The state uh, protects Antifa arsonists, not normal Oregonians. It prioritizes one race above another for vaccines and program money. And in the school curriculum, and it prioritizes Willamette Valley above rural Oregon, Mr. McCarter said. So uh, that's uh, pretty interesting there, uh, seeing that Idaho is definitely going to increase its land mass here, it looks like, maybe. Um, But that would be something pretty interesting to see, I think. And we're probably going to continue to see a lot of shifts in the borders, uh, whether geometrically speaking or otherwise, geographically speaking or otherwise, when it comes to the states of the Union through this illegitimate presidency of Joe Biden. But that remains to be seen. And uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Uh, But I I think that's kind of cool. It kind of looks like it even goes into some of California um, this uh, initiative to become part of Greater Idaho, but we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, they may end up taking over it all, and Oregon's going to be reduced to the size of West Virginia. But uh, there ain't nothing wrong with the size of West Virginia. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for tuning in to the C Report for Q and A Holes podcast. I am Mr. C, your host, as always. We'll be back at you again another time. But until then, make sure you subscribe to us on Twitch, where we do have our live uh, news coverage and news commentary shows. Uh, we had a Mr. C and Magadon report earlier today. We'll be doing the Saturday night show on well Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern here at Twitch. If not, make sure you get a hold of us at Spreaker or subscribe on any of your favorite podcast uh um you know player thingamajiggers except for spotify spotify don't like q a holes podcasts spotify has banned q a holes podcast and we don't like spotify but uh you can catch the c report there on a good day all right ladies and gentlemen until next time this is your host mr c signing out and we'll catch the news with you guys later stay good till then warning this podcast contains
Yeah, they're 40. 